My name's Chris Lane. And I'm Claire Cook. And this is the Not Forgotten Podcast. Great, so uh, in this session we've got Ray Driscoll with us and Ray kindly came along to the conference to uh, lead one of our workshop sessions which I missed because I was running one myself so we wanted to get Ray back so we could grill him about some of the things he's been learning and seeing. Uh, Ray, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit and uh, tell everyone uh, what you do and what your kind of role is. Hi Chris, thanks so much for um, having me on this podcast, uh, my first experience of being on a podcast, so um, it's good to be here. Um, I am a vicar on the south coast of England. We're in a place called Gosport, um, which, if you know Portsmouth, um, across the harbour is um, is a, an area called uh, Gosport. It's um, uh, I call it. It's self-titled for me. Um, the South Coast best kept secret. Um, so uh, we live here in fantastic gospel and um, I'm a church planter. Um, we planted uh, a church from a resource church in Portsmouth uh, called Harbour Church into uh, gospel um, in 2021. Um, yeah, so um, we love it here. It's a great place to be. Brilliant. And you're involved more widely as well in the kind of HTV movement. Do you want to say a little bit about that? Yeah, of course. Um, so um, we planted from, uh, we're a part of the HTV network. We planted from an HTV network resource church. Um, and um, I have a, a wider role alongside a couple of colleagues of mine. Uh, and we help, um, we work with an organization called CRT, which is, um, Called Stand for the Church Revitalization Trust, and and our mission is to um, to help resource and support um, church planting um, across our network. Um, and uh, the next frontier for us, in many ways, is a network is um, estates and um, areas of um, areas that are uh, uh, high in deprivation. I don't like that phrase, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, low income areas. Um, so for us. We specialised in city centre resource church planting, um, and now um, what's happening um, on the ground is um, dioceses and some of our resource churches are, are being uh, approached or approaching us about um, planting onto estates. Um, and so we've got a dozen or so um, bona fide estate churches in the network, mm-hmm. um, and I work to support them, um, but also helping the network think through a wider strategy around um, planting into estates and, and into neighbourhoods like mine. Yeah, I, I love that um, there's a, you know, a, like you say there, a, a sense of a new frontier, a new sense of calling around um, the, the the movement that you're part of and that kind of HGB network, is, like, as you said, predominantly has kind of gone to city centres, hasn't it? How have you found it, making that shift into... Um, estate context, urban areas. How's that changed the way in which you've approached planting church? Has it, or, you know, what, what have the, some of the shifts been for you? What have you noticed in the way that, that you've kind of, um, as you've stepped into those spaces? Uh, great question. Uh, I think um, it's a whole new ballgame. 
really, to be honest. Um, I think that what we are learning as a network, um, well, a number of things that we're learning. One is that we uh, we perhaps don't have all the um, answers when it comes to um, estate planting and working in uh, you know working in deprived areas like this. Um, so that's the first thing, really. It's, a, it's been a bit of a, a humbling for us as a network, and um, we're trying to learn from other practitioners and other networks. Um, so that's the first thing. Um, but w what are we learning? We're, we're learning that um, we need a different kind of planter, um, that if you like, the leadership archetype that, that we have um, uh, we've so um, effectively been able to raise up for the, the resource church model, um, uh, that planting on an estate um, or in a low-income area requires a different set of leadership skills mm. and a different posture. Um, when it comes to uh, missiology um, and leadership. And so um, we need a different kind of leader. And we're also recognizing that um, we need a different methodology. Um, and so one of the things for me that is really distinctive from um, our resource church where we planted from is, is um, Harbour Church is um, exceptional at the things that HDB resource churches are um, known for, um, reaching students, um, you know, uh, reaching young adults, um, sort of attractional, um, attractional church in, and I mean that in the best possible mm. yeah, um, yeah. way. Um, and, um, but, but gospel is profoundly different to Portsmouth. Um, it looks the same. It feels the same, but actually when you get below the surface, um, gospel is a static community, um, in which, um, people's stories, and their relationships to the story and to one another are deeply um, set. Um, I can give you an example that's helpful. I, I remember about four weeks in when we moved here, in, I moved here in September 2020, um, and um, we hadn't planted anything yet. I'd, I'd been made um, incumbent of a couple of churches, and um, we were just in, in and out of lockdowns. So I don't know if you remember that time. Yeah, with, um, yeah. And so it was very hard to sort of get any sense of um, foot, stable footing to get going. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I remember going to visit um, a young mum, teenage mum, off, off, who lived on one of our estates. And as she told me her story um, of her family background, I quickly realised that um, within two streets lived four generations of her family. Mm. Um, and I thought to myself... Um, wow, it's going to take me a long time um, to not be the new guy here. Yeah, um, you need four generations. And, and <laughs> for sure. And, 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 so, and so that posture of, um, the posture of humility yeah. in, in when, when you hold very few of the relational chips in your hands when you're engaging um, is quite a new one for our network. Right. Yeah. Right. Because usually we hold all the chips, you know, um, we, we, we um, you know, we have a good methodology. We, we have a strong leadership pipeline um, and um, et cetera, et cetera. But in, in this kind of context, um, my state doesn't care much about, um, doesn't care much about the coffee. Uh -huh. um, you know, they care a lot about 
and whether I care about them yeah. and whether I care about the lives of their children and the future of their estate and whether I care about the, the story too, you know? Um, and so, um, yeah, so th there's loads of stuff, new leaders, uh, a new model, um, uh, a completely different way of doing things that we are still, um, as a network experimenting with. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's a, and then naturally as you then push your frontiers, that then affects on the, you know, as you advance on the edges, it impacts the center. Mm -hmm. And so we're then asking the question of, you know, how, and seeing the impact of, um, that diversification, right. You know, yeah. on, on our identity as a whole, a whole network. Yeah. Yeah. So true, isn't it? You know, whenever a person joins a community, the whole community is new, isn't it? And so I guess what I'm hearing from you there is that as in your kind of, in the HDB community network, as this kind of new member, new members, you know, in terms of those who are gathering on estates and in, in a state context, as they join the wider community, then, yeah, of course, there's an expectation there, isn't there, then, that the whole community is renewed because... This new person comes with new voice, new perspective, um, you know, all of that stuff that that just brings newness. It's not, it's different. It's not um, better, worse. It's not, you know, it's. But it is. There is something new and renewed about it, and renewing. And we all have to kind of shift up a little bit, don't we? Um, you know, it's like that image of um, of a meal table. That if we want to make space for somebody else around a meal table we all have to kind of shift up a little bit and make space and it's a more joyful experience then because there's more at the table right but um but we all have to shift up a little and and make space and um and welcome to do that don't we and so therefore that that community again is this there's change that's happened isn't there in that i love that image and i suppose like the tables i find the table really helpful analogy of what we're doing when we're planting churches because mm -hmm. the other part of the table analogy is that regardless of how tall we stand um or um how um rich we are or how much we have in our hands or don't how new we are to church or not when we all sit at the table uh, the table is this great leveler right mm -hmm. where we all look each other in, in the eye and that and that's one of the challenges as um i, I think that's one of the challenges as any community grows is how do you pay um, careful attention to um, the power dynamics at play to make sure you're sitting at a level table and yeah. you're not, you know, you're not, you're not sort of sitting in tiers, right? Mm -hmm. You know, but actually there's only one level of seating here and we're all on it and we all look at each other in the eye. Um, and, and I suppose like for us here, it's, it's really interesting. I had a phone call for a, a long phone call with one of our small group leaders. Um, who are doing an amazing job with their, with their small group. Um, and uh, they were telling me about some of the challenges they've got, the diversity in the group. Um, people from all different walks of life, um, different characters who push each other's buttons, but not in a, you know, not in a, in a kind of bad way in a sense, but just, just the natural ebb and flow of community life. Um, rich and poor, um, educated, not immigrant, you know, people from um, outside the area, inside the area. And, and I, I was listening to this school and I thought to myself, and they were really 
faithfully wrestling with wanting to make, include everyone to make sure everyone feels empowered, but are completely aware of like the power dynamic. Mm. Um, and I know it struck me. It just, I just sort of thought this sounds like one of Paul's letters to the Corinthians, <laughs> yeah. like where they're trying to work. This, they're trying to work this stuff out. This is like listening to a Corinthian letter, yeah. you know, um, in in a phone call. And but I lo- I just love that. You know, I love that. That wrestling feels really honouring, mm. um, because and it feels very, it feels very, uh, it it feels it's like it's ecclesiologically sharp to be doing that because it keeps you, it keeps your, you know, the, it keeps you sharp as a community because you're asking those kinds of questions. You put that on a network level, same things happening mm. for us as a network, right? Um, because different people are now sitting at the table. Who have different metrics of what they're measuring, yeah. um, and how you know how do we as a network honour the diversity mm. um, is is a question a question that we're always asking, um, faithfully trying to make sure that everyone has a level. Yeah, Tim Chester's has done some really helpful work on this. I think hasn't he in his book Unreached? I don't know if you've uh, come across this work, but um, I love it. So um, what he's doing in in part of his work there is based on some research around the way in which um, we communicate, the way in which we what we value, um, and and all sorts of things based on. Um, he's looking at that sort of based on social class, really. Um, and I, I chuckled to myself reading it. So I grew up in a kind of working class environment, married somebody who's, I, I would say he's middle class. He wouldn't identify as that, but I think he's a bit posher than me. Um, and he's kind of dragged me up. And uh, so I now sit in this like funny world where I, I, I kind of see both and, and love both. Um, but... Um, what made me really smile about the work that Tim Chester's has done is, for example, um, what kind of food might we have at this table? Well, if uh, if we're kind of working class, what what Tim Chester's would say is that it's about volume. How much of there of it is there? We're not that bothered about whether it's you know the best food, but but we want a lot of it. Um, if you if you gave my mum. A, a beautiful a la carte menu she'd asked where the chips are on the side do you know what I mean like because she'd be like well I've got a lovely little pile of meat in the middle but where's the rest of it um whereas a kind of more perhaps working class or upper class people might value quality over quantity and just something as simple as you know we're all at this table but what food is on the table are we going to have masses of fish and chips from the chippy that's a bit greasy and all beige or are we going to have a really beautiful fresh crisp salad that you know everybody's kind of got their own small portion of and depending on who's at the table will either love that or hate it you know Uh, Chris how would you feel if I served you a fresh crisp small salad for your lunch I think that's um, <laughs> that'll be a challenge for me. Uh, You'd be asking where the chips are, yeah. maybe, or the crisps at least. The crisps at least, um, yeah. But there's something about you know that, that, as you say there, Ray, about who holds the power. Well, the person who gets to decide what's on the table, 
for our meal. That that's one way that we hold the power, isn't it? And Graham Cray talks about um, the the planting team should pay the cultural cost of the uh, of the mission and stuff, which is interesting. That's interesting. Uh, we'll say more. What do you mean by that? Well, um, I guess the temptation is that when we go to a place or a people, that we put on the kind of church that we would like, um, as opposed to listening and and kind of developing something with the people that God has called us to be with and to reach. And so if there is a cultural cost to be paid, Mm -hmm. then it should be with those perhaps who've got more experience, knowledge, um, resources uh, in in, in that sense, which Mm -hmm. is interesting. And I think, for me, in the end, I think think it's a bit of both. When we bring groups together who are different to each other, there's a courage that is needed. If we want to be community together from everyone and all of us will pay some cost and there will be an awkwardness and uh, and we'll rub up against each other in that way but there is yeah ultimately if Jesus brings us together then we we, we work it out as we go and mm. we love each other like the power thing for me I, I often think about it in terms of yielding and wielding mm-hmm. you know we talk about like wielding power and often um that refers to quite um you know, in those terms, power exists within a few who then influence the many. But mm. um, I love the idea of like yielding power, where actually my our, perhaps our role is to create a church that asks the question: how How do I need to give my power away in order to make space for the other? Mm. You know, which is a very uh, a very Christ like. Um, like kenotic pattern of um, you know of, of community building, um, which is um, m- much you know much more when you. Co- I think I long for us to be a church that um, is constantly looking to say, well, no, not how do I get what I want, but how do I give away what I want so that I can create space for others mm. um, to come and join me. Uh, and be or join us at this mm. at this table. That's a huge um, challenge, isn't it? It's a it's a huge sure. challenge, and it's so it's much easier for us to say that than to do it uh, when it comes down to it. Uh, and I think often when we're planting or beginning something new, the the amount of people I speak to who are leading teams, and they'll say to me, "I'm absolutely loving the mission. I'm loving reaching out to the people in our community." But my team is really hard work because they, they want to do what they don't want to do exactly the same as the church we got sent from. Uh, they want to recreate that, even though when we first talked about this, they said they were up for something new. And actually, and so often one of the biggest challenges to, is is helping the team to go. Let's let's make those. Let's pay that, that price. Let's um, let, let's give away what we've got and let's not impose our own. Um, kind of needs and wants in that way so there's this kind of synergy that happens between this this kind of coming together where it's like we say we're going to we're going to give this stuff away as opposed to imposing it on others and that yeah that yielding and wielding thing I think that's a really useful way of saying it can can I just um, kind of go into something a little bit I think it's a really exciting time um, in terms of, like, Claire and I run the um, church planting course at, at, at Emmanuel and looking at the different types of church movements and planting movements. 
I think it's a fascinating time for the resource church movement as they kind of you go to the second and third generations and see what what you're going to learn and what you are already learning, which is what we're what we're hearing here. And one of the things I'm aware of is that some of the churches that I come across that are not part of those of that kind of resource church movement, they might be quite small churches, but they're already existing as a resource church, as in they are their stories, their giftings are being a blessing to other churches around them. Um, and, and I wonder how much of being a, a resourcing church for others is about your heart as much as it, and your attitude to mission and other churches as it is about how many resources you have uh, in terms of whether it's finance or a large team. And that there's something that I think that I think that you can be a resourcing church no matter what kind of backing you have. I don't know if you've seen that or you agree with me or not. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, we, I, 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 I guess, like you say, resourcing happens in multiple ways. Mm. Um, and some, some resources is, um, you know, some resourcing happens because it's strength-based, right? Mm. You know, because because you have a particular set of, um, well, I suppose it's always um, it's always asset-based, right? Actually, the, but the assets are different. Mm-hmm. And so, like, in order to be a resourcing church, you need to know what your assets are. I, I wonder if there's two steps. One is knowing what your assets are, and two is being generous enough to give them away. Mm. Um, and so being a resource church is not so much Although some some you know in a, in our network um, our resource churches um, share a whole load of um, resources some of that financial some of that physical um, but also I think one of the gifts that we have as a network that I think has been the one of the greatest gifts for me is planting is our DNA mm-hmm. you know we we have we have a certain DNA as a network. Um, that is aspirational, it's courageous, um, it's, um, we have a, we have a, you know, a try and always say yes mentality, um, uh, uh, um, that, that for me is way more valuable than, you know, um, any other resourcing that I can get. Sure. Um, so yeah, yeah, that would be that would be my take on that. One of the things that Mark Powley talked about early in the conference was about being able to hold two things together that are not always held together. And I think some of what you're saying, Ray, about um, kind of what you're learning as you plant into the estate context is that how do you hold together that dynamism and that saying yes and that um, kind of that that energy that you, that, the, that the movement has got with the with the realities of the the slowness that's often needed and and i think that i think that can be a really exciting combination it's certainly something for us as a church over the last nearly 20 years that we've we've tried to hold together things that are not normally in the same place so often you can default in um in a state ministry to just the whole thing about being with people we're just going to be with people we're going to see what god's doing and and sometimes that can be at, at the expense of but we're going to believe and expect that transformation will happen and that God will change things. Mm-hmm. So I've, I'm in this weird place when 
Um, one minute I'm praying for revival across the whole estate and I've been doing that for 25 years for our estate. And then on the other hand, going, it'd be a lot easier if I just said, I'm just going to be with people and that's it. But I want to hold those things in tension because I think when Jesus is around, he's present, but he also brings about change. Mm. Yeah, totally. And I think I, I, that so resonates with me um, for us as a network. Um, around wanting wanting to kind of harness that DNA that we have, you know, that ambition and that drive and, um, you know, the relentless pursuit of um, of um, excellence. But I mean that in a not in a consumer way, but in in a in a in a growth way in every sense. Um, yeah, that commitment to growth, but also um, the commitment to staying faithful to context and, it, you know, um, how, you know, and how do you hold that DNA mm. <laughs> in 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 tandem with those kind of postures of listening and collaboration and and and, and giving power away? Mm. You, you know, yielding power. Um, and so, I, I guess, like from our from our perspective, um, it, we've we've planted in here. You know, super committed to the network, very much a HDB church. But um, the contextualization has happened in a number of ways. Um, so the first thing that we um, we did, which was more by accident than um, than by engineering, um, was we we took we 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 waited a lot longer to launch. And so um, in a in a, a city centre resource church, normally the team would move, be installed, and we'll probably launch three or four months later. For us, we took a year. Mm. Um, you know, and so that's three times the amount of length probably that um, you might wait before you um, started something new, right? Which mm-hmm. is a shift. Um, the second, the second way it played out was um, that in that year we committed ourselves to finding, to creating opportunities and platforms, not to deliver but to hear mm-hmm. um, and to listen. Um, so whereas a resource church would in a middle class context would spring into action straight away and like, you know, would, would deliver ministries that have been, you know, that have a pretty good track record set up and deliver ministries. Um, we were keen to wait and to see what bubbled up. Um, it played out in another way. So, you know, as we, so, so for us, I mean, in terms of, just give you a picture of that, we, we got some funding off all churches trust for a coffee, a converted horse box that, um, that and we get, we went around and it's got, it's basically a coffee shop on wheels. Mm-hmm. And so we just went around the schools and any space we could park it, um, and gave out coffee to people. Um, and with a purpose of listening, um, you know, we, we deliberately in that year didn't start ministries, but started relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, so relationships with, um, we've got four primary schools here in Gosport on our in our parish i mean it's ridiculous a thousand children and so what's happening in the midst of lockdown too is head teachers are saying oh gosh we're, we're not getting to grips with online learning can you give us some content so we started recording some assembly now, honestly from this very room it was awful when i first started doing it it was dreadful like <laughs> we all on my web on, <laughs> on my webcam with lego figures yes. you know that was the quality of it but we quickly we quickly realized, and here's where the resource church comes in, 
we quickly realized that this was the thing that we could get on. And the resource church, we fed it back. The resource church then said, no, we, we, we want to start doing this too. Let's do it together. And, that, and, and, you know, we didn't have cameras and editing capacity, but they did. Mm. And so together, we then through lockdown two and lockdown three, every week for us in a thousand homes, we were, um, we were being seen and changing people's perception of church. Um, and we knew it was working when one of my interns walked down the high street and some kid was coming the other way with his mum and shouts out at the top of his voice, points at him and says, look, mum, it's lockdown Larry. Uh, you know, <laughs> and, and so, and so like, you know, finding those platforms for engagement, you know, another thing that we, we identified was gospel has so many food banks. It's like turf wars, to be honest. Mm. Um, so what we didn't need to do was set up another food bank. Um, cause I'm not interested in fighting that battle, you know. Um, but what we realized in, was that in lockdowns that people weren't accessing it because they were afraid. People weren't accessing it because they didn't have, um, capacity or whatever. And so we, we spotted a gap in the market and said, right, we're, we're just going to deliver food parcels on behalf of the food banks. Um, and so, um, all of these things like happened in that year. And, and the learning was unbelievable. I mean, our phrase, we have a phrase that we put up on our wall and we, 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 we were so blessed from SDF. We had a, quite a significant amount of money to redevelop the church. Um, and we spent a lot of money on like PA and tech and stuff and put a coffee bar in and that, um, you know, because we're HDB, you've got to have a coffee bar, right? Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, but, um, we put a twenty-pound sticker on the wall um, that that came from, and, and and the phrase is "Good things for gospel," and that came from a conversation on the doorstep that I had with a with a, with a single mum mm. in the midst of lockdown, and she said to me, "Gospel's just a bit of a sad place, isn't it, really?" And like we kicked we kicked that around, and this phrase "Good things for gospel." So. You know, bear in mind, we we find we did do a launch in the end. We had a launch weekend and we collaborated with local promoters, put a gig on, but we didn't do it. They ran it for us. You know, we put on a family fun day. We did a civic launch with, and the mayor came and the MP came and it was it was great fun. But I'm sat there going, we've just spent so much money on the building, and the one thing that people take photos of is yeah. this twenty pound sticker that says mm. good things for gospel. Why? Because it tapped into the narrative mm. and offered, and it, ta- it tapped into the narrative, and it, but, it, but it reframed it. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that was the thing. And I can honestly, guys, I was like, I can't <laughs> believe they're just pretty posting pictures up of this. It's annoying look when at, that you know, happens, isn't it? <laughs> look, look, at this, look at these comfortable chairs we've got. You know, look at this amazing PA we've got. No interest. Yeah. Twenty pound sticker, but it caught the heart of the neighbourhood. And yeah. so, um, it's a long way around of saying, I think that, you know, we are wanting to harness the HTB DNA, but how it lands, um, in our context, it, we're learning to allow that to look different, mm, um, so in good. a way that's much more humble to context. Um, in a way that um, gives power away, right? Because when we started, we, you know, we had a good idea about what we wanted to do, but um, it's massively shifted as we've built relationships. Mm. Um, and that's maybe the fundamental thing. 
is that actually we know now that when we plant on estates, we need to begin with relationships. Yeah. And I love that there's something there, just listening to that story, Ray, and the learning journey that you've been on and exploration and all of that, that um, there's there's a real value in creativity, isn't there, in this kind of space where we're going into a new place. You know, as you say, you, you're going very definitely as we are HTB, we're part of that network, we carry that DNA, but this is a new place so what new thing might God do here and how do we partner with him in a new way and allow space for creativity? Um, you know, that, that it might not be that we do the same thing here as we've done elsewhere. Um, there's stuff, of course, that we learn. All of us, you know, as we, as we go along and do different things, we learn things, don't we? We carry that with us. Um, but to have kind of an open, an open hand in the other hand to say and what do we receive from this community what what might God be doing here that's new and um and yeah and opening up that creative space is such a fruitful thing isn't it and and what a joy to watch that and to do that to be part of it what a joy to kind of see you know as you say that that the thing that bubbles up out of that those relationships being this phrase about there being good things for this space that that people catch hold of that that perhaps this is the thing that God is saying look at this you know there's going to be something new and it's going to be good in this place watch out you know look for it um yeah what what a privilege it is hey to to be part of that creativity of God there's um there's a uh a book that's become quite special to me um by is a um like a very much a spiritual writer called maggie ross um and she's written two volumes on silence mm. um and in silence volume two that's meant to be about prayer right um but in silence volume two there's a chapter um where she basically lays into the bible translators because she says when we shifted from the king james the NIV, we took um, the word behold uh, and translated it as, uh, we read it in NIV as like look Mm. or see. Um, And she argues that that the NIV translation, I think she's right, completely changed um, the meaning of of the word and often of um, the scriptures. Um, Because she says that when we look or see, um, we we stand from a remote place and we judge Mm. what we're seeing. You know, the power is with the seer, Uh um, not with the being seen. Um, And, um, but behold is a much more mutual relational engaged mutually engaged the power dynamics are level mm. word i've often thought of it as like you know when two people hold hands mm. um and you lean back and you support one another and you, you're allowing yourself to both hold and be yeah. held and mm. um, one person removes their hand the whole you fall over you both fall over this mutual dependency, and I and I 
I now I read that and I thought this sounds like mission to me, <laughs> not not prayer, mm-hmm. because actually, um, and maybe this is what Chris was getting at earlier. That if I just allow the context to take my weight, um, we both fall over. If the con, you know, but if I allow myself to be held, um, we both stand. Mm. Um, and that's always felt to be, um, not really what Maggie Ross meant, but it's like Ray Driscoll's interpretation on that. This kind of mutual being held. Yeah. And it's a bit, um, which I found. It's a bit like Jesus in Luke 10, you know, go and receive from those who th- th- find the people of peace who will welcome you and, and rel- you know, you're leaning into them. And, but then the, you're also proclaiming the kingdom and, and healing the sick. So there's both of the things are happening at once. Yeah, yeah. Totally. 100%. Brilliant. Well, I think, uh, I think we're about done. I think uh, we really appreciate your time, Ray, and and, and especially I'm I'm fascinated to just kind of keep in touch and hear about the stuff that you learn over the next few years, and we'll definitely we'll be praying for you and um, and praying that God will bless all of the all of those plants into the um, into the kind of estate context, and um, I think I'm really encouraged by lots of the things that you've you've shared with us. And um, I hope it's. A, I'm sure it'll be a real inspiration to lots of people who are who are listening. So thank you for joining us. <laughs>